It's time for your weekly trip inside the ropes and behind the scenes of the Australian golf industry. Welcome to another episode of the Australian Golf Show with Tiffany Cherry and Mark Allen. Welcome to the show with your host, Mark Allen and Tiffany Cherry. Looking forward to our cherry pick guest this week, Marco, the Athena. I know you were commentating. I went there for the, the two days and absolutely loved it. What was your take? Uh, it was a fantastic initiative uh, for women's golf in this country, for women's golf around the world. Uh, the chipping comp, I reckon, you know, that's basically what it was. It's, it's what we do as it was well, what we used to do as kids when we're trying to better our golf. But to actually give players of note just one shot, uh, there's a big cherry at the end of it, $30,000 if the pros can win the whole lot. The amateurs got a chance to win too. And, and Kirsten, you know, the original, uh, the eventual winner won $5,000. But the seat on the TV, you could you could feel the tension, and I thought Karen Lund did a great job setting up some of the challenges uh, because that's what they were called. You know, you had a flop shot, the flop shot that Grace Kim hit. Uh, it was off a cricket pitch deck over a bunker. I think it was downwind a little bit, and the way she got the ball to spin. I mean, you know, the talent involved in hitting a shot like that under the gun with the cameras on uh, and a little bit of a crowd yep. is Ka- quite extraordinary. What about and- Karis Davidson's one? That was superb. Karis, yeah, uh, not too bad. Uh, I reckon she probably didn't hit it quite right, but that's the best thing about bunkers. You know, you can hit the ball a little bit thick and when it lands short, it runs on. So, you know, she's a very professional player. That was probably, you know, somewhere in the back of her mind that that was a, a possibility. Um, but, you know, some of the the chip shots and, and the mystery shot was an interesting one. I didn't mind that at all. Um, and, and then there was another one called the uh, Precision Drive, I think it was basically called, where you, you know, in, in, in the world of professional golf, quite often, especially if you've got greens that are very, very hard, like we saw at Sandy Golf Links. You want to hit a ball to a spot where you can get the most spin, uh, in particular pin placements, and, and that shot's actually used a lot uh, in the sand belt. Um, and, you know, all local golfers around here will know, yeah, sometimes you hit a little bit too close on rock-hard greens, and your chip shot, if you haven't been doing much practice, you've got no hope of stopping the ball, so you're better off leaving it back uh, about you know, 80, 90 metres or something and hitting a fuller shot. So uh, that was an interesting one. The long drive, you know, you've always got to have one of those as well. But what I think should happen right around the country is that if you've got a junior program, um, I don't care if it's boys and girls, it doesn't matter. Have their own, have your own Athena. You know, yeah, if there are club, if there are clubs uh, wanting to get kids interested, you know, you don't have to do much. You can put a Mars bar up for first place. It, it doesn't really matter. Or a sleeve of golf balls. You know, you, you can win a sleeve of golf balls for first place, a Mars bar for second, and a, you know, a Coca Cola for third. I, I, I don't care. But run your own little Athena and maybe give them two balls. You know, one ball for these players that we saw. They're, they're all very talented. But if you just got juniors coming into the game, you know, they, there's two rounds of the one shot. And, and they get to see how other people mm. play that shot. And that's how you learn. I mean, I, I honestly will tell you that when I was coming through as an amateur golfer, I learned more from chipping comps late at night with you know half a dozen other guys yep. uh, and girls, and my mum used to come and play yeah. these chipping comps as well. Um, I learned more from them because you, you started to work out the best option to get it close, um, and, and those things just compute. Uh, and then you know it's not long before you start using those things you learnt in chipping comps in tournament play. You know when you're fourteen yeah. or fifteen years old, so they're really important. And uh, every club in Australia should have 
the Athena uh, during the school holidays on a Thursday or Friday night, you know, maybe 10 juniors there. It, it would just be fantastic. Well, Kirsten Rudgley certainly showed us how to chip. We'll be chatting to her shortly. I, one other thing that came out of it was the Athena, obviously it's a different format, and also the girls are allowed to wear what they wanted. I know there was a, a bit of yeah. conjecture around um, some no of the outfits bit, that the girls wore, but that's it. No, that's yeah. what I, I wanted to put yeah. out there and just say for those who are watching and perhaps were a bit turned off by it, we're, what we're trying to do is say to women and girls, you know what, all golf is golf. You can come and wear what you want in these kind of formats and enjoy it and not worry about the stuffiness of uh, certain attire. Yeah, look, I think clubs are slowly getting on board. Uh, there would have been golf committees watching uh, the Athena right around the country, uh, seeing 12 beautiful girls all dressed differently, feeling comfortable and playing golf is the most important thing. If you want you know, junior members coming through, I think it's boys and girls. You yeah, know? absolutely. My, my, my son, the last thing my boy wants to do is tuck his shirt into his pants. And wear a collar collar shirt yeah they don't want to do it no. but you know if you go down after hours and you know there's no one around I, I can bring him down he leaves his shirt out it's no big deal and i get him playing golf yeah, it, yeah it's really important hey, but- now the honda classic i want to talk to you about that there was uh, a bit that went on um you've got some some comments to say but uh, we also had an austrian win yeah. the very first time on the pga tour in yeah, uh, Seb Straker. Seb Straker won. Uh, well done to him. But the real story was Daniel Berger. Daniel Berger got into that last round. I think he had a five-shot lead. Uh, don't quote me on that. They've got this thing uh, at this tournament called the Bear Trap. It's a series of holes where I think the ball count I saw was like 247 balls had been hit into the water on the Bear Trap uh, <laughs> after about three rounds. Maybe it was the fourth round. I can't, I can't remember when I, when I put the TV on. Uh, but when you've got a five-shot lead, when you're standing on that first tee, I can only imagine that you were worried about the bear trap getting in there with a four-shot lead yeah. and, and, and you know, spilling a few balls into the water and losing your lead there right at the crux of the tournament. Mm. Uh, but Daniel Berger, uh, I've just got his card here. Uh, let me get it. Daniel Berger. So you've got the five-shot lead, goes par, par, double bogey on a par five. So that's like Ouch. a triple bogey yep. really for professional yep. golfers. And then bogey's five and bogey six. So he's four over par up to six holes. And now he's behind oh, the eight ball at, before yeah. he even starts. And set birdies, I think, through the last five. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Well, just look, that's beautiful golf on that on that stretch of holes. Incredible golf. Mm. But what I loved about Daniel Berger, he, the way he spoke after the loss, you know, you, you could throw the toys out of the cot, so to speak, and you get a little bit of grumpy. But he said, oh, listen, you know, I just didn't hit the good shots when I needed to hit good shots. And the people who won this tournament were hitting good shots when they needed to. And that's golf. And with an attitude like that, you can actually rebuild quite quick. Um, if you've got the attitude where, <laughs> and we all do it. I mean, I still do it. Played in a stupid, you know, Stableford comp. You know, I get angry. But um, if you, <laughs> if you, if you, if you are throwing that, if you if you do get really down on yourself and, and don't understand golf, you know you you we're literally hitting a ball with a stick. Yeah. It's a really hard game yes. to be precise. So he didn't beat himself up. Um, I reckon Daniel Berger will learn from this. Uh, he's a very good player, and I think he's going to win more tournaments. I reckon he win a couple more tournaments uh, this season. All right, we'll watch his space. But right now we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with Kirsten Rudgley, rising star of Australian golf. After this. Welcome back to the show and our cherry pick this week is none other than the amateur who outshone the pros in last weekend's Athena tournament played at Sandy Lynx Golf Club in Melbourne. Sam Bout, it's great to welcome Kirsten Rudgley and congratulations. What a wonderful 21st birthday present. Oh, it's pretty cool. It was, um, it was an awesome event. It's so, diff- like, so different to every other event we play each week. I enjoyed every minute of it. So 
What was it? Uh, what was the mindset? Because there was a lot of fun happening. There was a bit of sledging. You know, it was a it was a made for TV golf tournament that was played for the first time last year. Played over a couple of days. But what was your mindset going into that event? Um, to have fun for sure. Um, that's what Karen and Matt just kept pushing at us, just to have fun, have fun. Um, but when you've got to play the shot, obviously you take take your time. You play it like you're going to play on a golf course. Um, then you walk away and you have more fun. So. Kirsten, uh, I want to talk about your play in a tick because, uh, you know, your play on its merits was it was quite extraordinary, to tell you the mm. truth. You did some really good things in, you know, in unusual circumstances with cameras going everywhere. But the product itself, the way it looked on TV, if, uh, if I was a young lady, I'd like to play golf, seeing all the fun that it was being had. What got you into the game? And do you think something like this can help other girls who might have been toing and froing to get into golf that maybe that's going to be a big help. Maybe this can be the legacy of the Athena. Yeah, for sure. Like Dad um, got me playing when I was pretty young. Um, he enjoys golf. Um, so, yeah, I just picked up a club and enjoyed it straight straight away. So um, it's good having him on board. Um, but like you were saying again before about young girls that want to play golf, um, I think it was good to have the caddies out here this week. Mm. Uh, last week, sorry, the young juniors, because hopefully eventually down the line they'll be playing the event. So, um, it was good for them to see how things go and what we what we do over the ball and how we go about getting the ball in the whole least amount of shots. So, tell us about the format, Kirsten. We've spoken a little bit about it, but um, just if you can summarize, you know, with the kind of play, the, the shots that you had to make, um, just how they set it up and how they did it to capture the the imagination of the of the TV audience. Yeah, for sure. Like the first day, it was just a purely short game exercise so he had nine spots to go to I believe um the first one was 100 yards and each person was guaranteed a point so there was nine 12 of us playing and obviously if you were num- if you were the closest you get 12 points so on and first shot, like I just said first shot was 100 yards and then we went to a lob shot over the tree um then we went to a bunker shot a short-sided bunker shot I think it was and then we did a mystery shot which was pretty cool mm-hmm. what was that the mystery shot was you put your hand in this bucket um full of callaway balls and you pick <laughs> out a um a golf ball and it's got a different number on it or a different club um whatever you pick out that's the club you hit i think it was 25 meters to the flag it's a great concept which was a pretty cool like everybody got a different golf club so there was no real advantage or disadvantage in that challenge and then we went over and done the optimal drive which is who could get it to closest to the 200 yard marker and then after that was the longest drives then at the last challenge it was just a par three Hmm. um i think it was playing 140 i think so yeah there was there was all different types of shots all in the the challenges so it was perfect kirsten uh, i loved your game from tee to green uh the wedge that hit the flag was a highlight but it was your short game that one year the Athena Trophy. Um, when I was coming through, there was a guy called Peter Fowler, another one called Sivy Bellasteros. They were the Kings, but not long after them, there's a fella called Brett Rumford, and he became the short game wizard. Now I know he's a member at your club, uh, and I hear little bits and pieces that maybe you've been having some chipping comps and chipping technique sessions with Brett Rumford. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how he's been in your life and how he's helped you with the short game? Yeah, for sure. Um, like he's at the same, like you said before, he's at the same goal club as me. 
And um, I think it was one day I was just at the golf club practicing and he's just come over to me and just changed a few things over and played around with it all. And then I went home and I said, oh, Dad, I think I um, some guy came over to me today and helped me out in my chipping. He goes, oh, who was that? And I said, I couldn't tell you. And uh, he goes, it's probably Brett Rumford. And he goes, do you know who that is? And I said, no, no idea. So I've done a bit of research on him and I was like, oh, he's pretty good actually. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, Ever since then, he'll send me messages and, um, like, he rung me straight after I won, just said how, how cool the event was and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, we don't really have, like, lessons as such. It's more of if we have, a, like I said, a chipping comp or something, he'll, he'll just say, move your left hand over or whatever, just these simple things that make the ball come out like you want. But you've got to still imagine the shot each time. You, I don't think you can really teach that as such. You've just got to learn to play different shots, play around with stuff. Just when you're out practicing, you don't want to hit from the same spot each time, that's for sure. Kirsten, you mightn't even know this, but I, I did the commentary for the Athena, and, and I made a real point of saying that before every single chip shot you hit, I could watch your brain ticking over, and you were imagining the shot, yeah. and I could see the way you were yeah. you were rehearsing it. in your. I, could, I, I knew what shot you were going to hit. How important has that been in Brett Rumford's teaching to get the most out of your short game? Yeah, for sure. Um you got to know what the ball is going to do, how high it's going to come out, what it's going to do, if it's going to spin left to right, right to left. Um, you've got to think about all these different things to optimise a shot. So he, he's he been pretty good with that sort of stuff. Just little little tweaks that you can do to make the ball do different things is um, awesome. Take us to the the final hole and with, uh, with Grace, Kim. You, I think it came down to five um, there was five different putt offs, yeah, that you had, and they kept changing the location of the ball. I saw in the last one, you turned around when um, Grace uh, sunk hers just before you went into the fifth, and there's a big smile that when it plastered across your face, as if to say, "Here we go again." But just take us through your mindset of that final shot. Oh, I don't, I didn't even know it was a putt off, to be honest. <laughs> um, so as soon as I found out that, I was just thinking, "Yep, yeah, just do your pre-shot routine." hit the putt you're after and you'll hold it. And it's it's a tough, tough gig really. Five up against um, Grace as well. It was pretty tough. But um, if you hit the right putt uh, with the correct speed, you're going to hold it. So that's mm. that's the mindset I had. And, um, yeah, it went my way. So I want to follow up just another one, uh, Marco, quickly on the, the prize money. You're, you're still an amateur and we'll get into why that is in a moment. But the, um, the prize money that was on offer, obviously you had to forfeit that, but you were able to take some home, I believe, um, which was after the first day. Can you, can you tell us, yeah, share with us how that all played out? Yeah, well, that's the cool thing about this event. Um, I think for the first half of the short game, it wasn't classified as playing golf. That's mm. the way I've been told about it. Um, so we were allowed to take the money, the five grand, I think it was. So, yeah, it's obviously going to help me out, help mum and dad, mum and mum and dad out. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's awesome. And one of the great things about you winning was uh, for amateurs because the thirty thousand that would have gone to Grace Kim instead it goes to helping the amateurs along and a little bit more prize money for the Athena next year when hopefully you'll be back defending your championship. You might be able to win forty thousand instead of thirty thousand, <laughs> Kirsten, which is great. Hey, when, when we were finding out more about you, I learnt that you won some enormous amateur tournaments overseas. Um, when you got over there, you know, because it's always such a big trip. You leave, you leave Perth and you get over to a, a, a different country and you're having a look around. You don't know who's there. It can be a little bit daunting, but you've gone on to win a couple. Tell us how important they were for your confidence levels. 
Yeah, for sure. Because like when I went back, I played the English amateur, Scottish amateur, and managed to take the win in both of them. And the the amateurs that were playing in that were top thirty in the world in the wagger. So um, it was it was a tough week all week. Yeah, um, you had to shoot some seriously good scores to be able to take the win. So um, yeah, I actually enjoy, do enjoy playing over in Europe. Um, it's good to have the family over there as well. So uh, they come down or go up or whatever just to watch. And, um, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a cool experience. Like you got the golf courses over there are so cool. Mm. They're not like Aussie golf courses. They're all linksy or Heath, mm. um, the Heath look. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it was good to play in a different environment. And the other big one you've got coming up, and this is this is the one that everybody dreams about. You're off to Augusta National. The women's amateur are there, and you get to play the last round. Uh, I think it's on the Sunday before uh, the Masters starts, which is just a fantastic thing. Um, you mightn't have seen this on the broadcast either, but one of the young caddies, she actually said that you know one day she dreams of playing at Augusta, and and that is now true. Yeah. You know, girls awesome. can actually dream about playing at Augusta now, which is, you know, next level for the women's game right around the world. Um, I think you can win it. You know, what I've seen, the tournaments that you've won, and most importantly, all these TPSs that you're getting a run at. You know, you're, you're playing some real tournament golf at the moment. Um, do you feel like you're going over there to win this thing? Yeah, for sure. I go into every event like I'm going to win it. Otherwise, there's no point being there. <laughs> um so, no, I'm looking forward to it. And as soon as I actually got the phone call from the director of the Augusta on the, I think it was the second day of the OzPGA. Oh, wow. So that was a pretty cool uh, phone call. What did you shoot that day after getting that news? I actually don't. I think I was maybe one over square. I'm not sure. I couldn't <laughs> tell you. But it was, it, yeah, it was a cool, cool phone call. That's for sure. And then, you're, and then on the back of that, Kirsten, that's why you're still an amateur at the moment, correct? You'll, you'll turn pro after playing at Augusta? How will it play out? I'll go to I'll go to Augusta, I'll play that, and then go back home for a couple of months, two or three months, um, and then head up back over to the US in June with the golf Oz guys and just um, play Aussie uh, USM, and then I'll go to Q School at the end of the year. Okay, so you're about to turn. Sorry, you're about to turn pro, Kirsten, which I think is wonderful. Uh, you've got Brent Brett Rumford in one pocket, and you've got Hannah Green in the other because yeah. she's a member at your golf club as well. So tell us about the, your relationship with Hannah Green. Yeah, well, um, like I said, to her, she said she's always said to me, "There's no rush," which is perfect in golf. You don't have to run, so that's a good thing. Mm. But I also get a bit of help off of uh, Scott Strange as well. I don't know if you know him; he's on the Japanese tour. He's at my golf club as well, so he's good to pick ears with. So I've got a good group of people that I can look up yeah. to and just absolutely send a few messages messages soon. And obviously, we've got Kari as well, which is awesome in women's golf. <laughs> So um, yeah, no, I feel like I've got a you got a full house group of people behind me. So yeah, what, so, um, what did you pick up at the the Vic Open like a few couple of weeks ago? Obviously, Hannah won the uh, the professional title, and you won the amateur title. How was that as an experience being able to play alongside her and you know continue to put your name up in lights? Oh, uh, it was it was an awesome week to see her win and myself win the amateur. It was uh it was pretty cool. Um, like she's always been a role model to me, um, being at my home club as well. So, no, I enjoyed the whole week. It tests your game the whole way throughout. So, um, yeah, and no, that was a good fun. And what about uh, your your home situation? You've pretty much been homeless. You mentioned, uh, obviously, in your words, prison last year, but 
what's it been like for you? I mean, you're only, you know, last couple of years, 19, 20 years of age and and having to navigate your your golf career around COVID and the lockdowns. Um, I, I actually don't mind it, to be honest. Um, it's, you obviously have your times where you want to go home, but you just got to bear through it. And um, like, this is going to be my job, hopefully, at the end of the day. So I've got to learn to um, travel and play to my best every time. So Yeah, I'll, I'll, that's the question I wanted to ask you because there's – always one last piece to the professional golf puzzle and that is you have to be up for the adventure you have to get away yeah, from well, home and you've got to go out of there and enjoy it and enjoy somehow the different hotels and um yeah, you know, getting sure. up to speed with that sort of stuff what do you like so far with it oh i just like seeing different countries um different countries different places you know there's not many sports that get you the whole way around the world so um Really grateful for that. Um, so, yeah. Well, Kirsten, we're really excited with what lays ahead for you. Augusta it will be brilliant to watch. And uh, and as Marco said, you can win it. There's no doubt about it. A lot of people were talking about you at the Athena and um, you're generating a fair bit of excitement. So take that with you. All the very best and, and can't wait to see uh, what your professional career holds as well. Thanks, guys. Thanks for chatting. All right, Kirsten Rudgley there. And coming up, we've got Bonnie Boozman, who's the founder of the Australian Golf Foundation and a board member. Looking forward to having a chat with her about the rise of girls' golf in Australia. Really looking forward to our next guest as we're joined by the Australian Golf Foundation Director and Scholarship Program founder, Bonnie Boozman AO. We've got to put the AO on the back because you've done so much for for women's golf and girls' golf in this country and, and for so much of other things in uh, in Australia. Bonnie, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Um, this is my pleasure. It's really great. I think you can always tell by my enthusiasm that I, I, I just want to talk about how we can grow the game for junior girls. And tell us about how we can, because you've set up this scholarship um, this scholarship program, and on the back of that, we've, we've seen a number of the girls can um, t- take part in the Athena over the weekend, which was wonderful to see them all dressed in their yellow tops. Yes. Well, one of the things we did is we actually sent out a notification uh, by email to all the girls that are now scholarship um, members for the last two years. We're creating a database. And so, as you can see in the future, if we grow it the way we want to, um, the numbers hopefully will get very large and uh, we'll have a network out there across the country. But it worked for the Athena because the girls knew about the Athena and they all said to their parents, we got to watch this on Foxtel. And there were families all over the country watching television. So the future is looking up. Uh, obviously, the only way this program will work is by generous support of donors, people who really have a passion for helping young girls and women grow the game. And that's what the Australian Golf Foundation is all about. It's about raising money and it's about fulfilling uh, very sensible projects that we've uh, planned in the Golf Australia strategy. And in that way, we can grow different segments of the game. The second pillar of the strategy came up very clear that one of the biggest challenges that we have in golf today is the, the sliding of the percentage of women in golf across the country. Um, and really, the only way to tackle that from the beginning is to get to young girls and create in a wonderful atmosphere for them to learn the game to have 24 weeks of professional lessons and make it a game for life. Now, I think, as you know, girls love to buddy with girls. Um, and it's very different with boys. A lot of boys would just go out and practice by their own, but young girls 
they want to be with each other. The nice thing about this program is the girls all, all don't come from one school. They actually come from a lot of schools in the area of where the, uh, the golf range actually is. Uh, so therefore, they get to meet these new girls and friends suddenly. And, um, and then they keep in touch with them on WhatsApp. So uh, when I originally created this uh, for Clara, we opened up a WhatsApp in year one. We're up to year four now. And even the girls today WhatsApp each other to go play maybe nine holes after school. And Bonnie, what are the numbers from year one to now? Because I believe the growth has been exponential. It has. It has. Yes. It's pretty exciting. I mean, my hopes were that I would possibly get up to 150 girls in year one. But year one ended up to be 37 clubs and 226 girls across the country. In year two, um, it's threefold, 300% increase. And it would have been even higher if it wasn't for COVID and parents being cautious about their kids going to group sport. But in year two, we're up to 117 clubs and 681 girls. So it's three times as many as girls in the year one. And of course, where do we go from here? Well, I have a, I have a, I have a strategic plan with just this program that I want to get well in excess of 1,000 girls next year, at least 1,000. And then I want to continue to grow this. There are enough girls across the country who put their hand up to say they would be so keen to get in this program. I want to add one additional thing is one of my personal goals was to have at least 40 or 50% of the clubs to be re, uh, regional where, um, where they never get any money at all. So um, we hit that mark. We're up to like 45% of, uh, of rural Great. clubs out there. Well done. And, um, and some of these kids um, have an opportunity of a lifetime. And how do they get involved, Bonnie? Like if someone's listening now, a parent or, or a young girl who, who wants to give golf a try and, and, and do it through the scholarship program, how do they go about it? Well, what they have to do is they have to um, look on the website. Um, it shows the 117 clubs and look on the website and they'll see all the clubs involved this year. If this club is not near where they live, they should actually themselves or their parents pick up the phone and ask that club if they had any plans to join the junior scholarship program. That will kind of give the clubs a bit of a, a push to say, you know, we've been reading all about this and we really should put our hand up and join. It's no, it's no skin uh, off the nose of the clubs that do join because what the foundation does is it raises money and it says to every club, we are going to give you um, enough money to pay for your 24 weeks of professional training. Um, some of the club's pros might charge a little bit more. And so we say to the clubs, well, put, you know, you have a little skin in the game now yourself. And, um, and therefore, just say to your members, you know, just give some, give some money um, to the membership so that you can pay for the difference in what the foundation gives you. But most clubs, the foundation money basically pays for the pro training. And then we, we also pay for the shirt and cap for all the girls. So the minimum uh, girls in a club is five, and they can go up as high as seven or eight in one club. Bonnie, if I'm a uh, committee person on a golf club somewhere around the country and I flicked on Fox Sports and, and saw the excitement and the fun uh, that the players were having, um, at my golf club, I'm organising my very own Athena 
for all the junior girls and boys mm, on a Thursday wow. and Friday nights. And, and I think that should be done right around. I, I, yeah. I, I don't want to tell you your business. You know you know, you know what you're doing. But if yes. that's not a push from Golf Australia yes. uh, in the school holidays um, uh, and over Christmas time to organise, uh, every club should have at least three or four Athenas for the year where the kids are there. And, you know, I was saying before, you, you win a sleeve of balls or you win a Mars yes. bar, what, whatever. It doesn't yes. matter. But to get yes. them all together and to learn from each other, I think it's an opportunity that you've got to take up. No, you're absolutely right. And it's one of the discussions we're having together with Golf Australia. Um, I, th- I think it's probably taken them by surprise, the growth, but it hasn't me because I could see clearly my club was 119 years old. This is four years ago and never had a junior girls golf program. And we interview, we have to turn girls away. Every year we get between 10 and 15 applications and we take five girls. This is indicative across the country. What the Athena's done is it's basically showed that it's just not a straight 18 hole game. There can be other slice and dices of that game that makes it really interesting. I mean, as you saw when you were interviewing, um, these kids were so happy to be there and the pros were so generous with their time. And uh, they, were, they were signing their gloves like Grace Kim and, and signing autographs in the girls' shirts. And the pros said, I was there once and it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, yeah. And what was the reaction from the girls? I know you said pre-Athena, they were like, we've got to watch this. But those girls that had the opportunity to caddy. Uh, I cannot describe um, the conversations and the, the euphoria of those kids afterwards. It, it actually has been transformative. They will never forget that experience for the rest of their lives. And of course, they're WhatsApping, so their social media, they're sending notes to all their girlfriends and said, this is unbelievable. I've been on TV and, and I love my, I love my player. She was wonderful to me. And, Oh, it's, it's, it's just so yeah, incredible. Right. So the men- mentorship. Now, Bonnie, before we say goodbye, can you tell us what the website is where people can log on and get some information? Yes, I will. It's www.australiangolffoundation.org.au. Okay, Australian Golf Foundation, one word, all lowercase.org.au. Bonnie, Correct. you are an absolute star and worthy of all the accolades that you are getting. Thank you so much for all the amazing work that you're doing to help grow the game across Australia amongst them. I'm not looking for accolades. I'm looking for more money to grow this game for yep. girls. Well, that's exactly what we're after. Thanks so much, Bonnie. We'll, we'll push the money your way. Okay, thanks a lot. <laughs> Bye-bye. Uh, thank you. And we've got Martin Blake now joining us. Um, Martin, there's a fair bit of news going on, but uh, what's hit the headline with you this week? Well, Tiff and Marco, the big news in golf around this country is actually the rain. Uh, so the clubs in Queensland and all the facilities in Queensland and to some extent in north of the north of New South Wales as well are going to face an enormous clean-up over the next few weeks um, I've spoken to a few people. I spoke to Luke Bates in our in Golf Australia's Queensland office yesterday, and they're all inundated. Uh, the rain hasn't really stopped. Uh, we're, we're recording this on a on a Tuesday, and the rain. You know, Brisbane had 611 millimetres of rain between Friday and Sunday, last Friday and last Sunday. So, any of those courses that are near the Brisbane River. Um, are in a world of world of trouble. I mean, I haven't spoken to anyone at Royal Queensland, but they're right by the river. I mean, I know that, uh, you know, Brisbane Golf Club's near the river and, uh, you know, all down through the Gold Coast there, you know, there's an enormous cleanup going to be happening. So I, I just wanted to send a shout out to all our 
our brethren in yep. the Queensland and Northern New South Wales clubs because even, uh, I mean, I loved your chat with Kirsten Rudgley earlier, but she was down at uh, Bonnie Doon in Sydney getting ready to play the TPS and you could see, she showed us, uh, faced her camera out through the window there and the greens were flooded there. So, you know, we're, we're having thing, an enormous weather event. The funny thing, Martin, is that uh, we had her in the waiting room for quite a while and at the start she showed us a bit of a picture outside and it wasn't too bad. And then seven yes. minutes later, she showed us a picture of the same spot, and it was a swimming pool. It was incredible to see just how much rain uh, they're having in Sydney. I just can't imagine up north what's going on up there. Yeah, there's going to be a big clean-up, and I hope that uh, clubs and facilities and golfers all around the country will get behind them uh, because it's going to be a mess. They're saying, uh, Tony Weebeck, our correspondent, has done a story today for uh, the various websites in our group, and... Uh, he said that people are telling him that it was it's worse than 2011 when they had the floods up there. So, uh, and Bonnie Doon, Bonnie Doon this week fortunately uh, is is straight on top of sand. So I'm sure that once the rain stops in Sydney, they'll they'll get going. That well, event is um, is uh, you know another event this week, another TPS event, so another mixed event. So we're getting a lot of that on the back of the Athena and also you know TPC Rosebud and. The Vic Open, so we're seeing a lot of mixed events this year, which is great. We've got to look at uh, doing things more sustainably with sport. We should be a, a leader, and um, um, there's actually a, a, um, an event coming up this week at the MCG, the Sports Environment Alliance, where they're talking about um, what sports can do to really make their sport sustainable and, and work towards um, obviously trying to curb these environmental catastrophes that were happening. Absolutely, Tiff. Now, the, we're recording this on a Tuesday, as I mentioned. The Golf Australia Rookie Squad for 2022 is being announced uh, later today. Uh, there are three new players in it. They're not any, in any way a surprise. Jed Morgan, Louis Dobler and Grace Kim, who have all won Australian Amateur Championships over the last two years, uh, have been added to that squad. There are 12 players in it. People like Elvis Smiley is in it, Steph Kiriakou. Grace Kim, of course, is in it. So uh, that uh, the rookie squad's a really important uh, thing that Golf Australia do. Uh, it wasn't always popular. Marco, I'd be interested to know what you think about it. They get, uh, you know, they're, they're new pros, uh, fresh pros in their first stages of, of going on tour. And they get funding, I believe, of up to about $50,000, depending how much travel they do and that sort of thing. Uh, and it's aimed at just smoothing the ride the transition from amateur to pro. Uh, yeah. Now, I remember Wayne Grady talking about this just as an example, and he said that's that's a disgrace. Uh, they should be cut loose, and if they make it, they make it. But, uh, you know, our feeling <laughs> at Golf Australia is that it's the hardest, the hardest <laughs> period in a pro's life is yeah, that absolutely. first few years when you might not, you might not necessarily have any playing rights, You've yeah. got to fork out money for a caddy. You've got to work yeah, your way yeah. through all the travel packages. Well, you even so, heard heard what yeah. that five thousand dollars Kirsten Rudgley yeah, was yeah. saying. You know that would help your parents out. Listen, I love Wayne Grady like everybody else, but that's coming from a bloke who never had to go to the European Tour School. I mean, back in the day, mm. if you're an Australian, if you had an Australian tour card, ask Mike Clayton and uh, Peter O'Malley. They never went to tour school because they had Australian status. They got straight onto the European tour. So um, it's a very different school these days. The depth is ridiculous. Uh, and unfortunately, I keep on saying this, the Australian peso 
doesn't go too far in the Northern Hemisphere. So these players do need help. Uh, the pathways are opening up, which I'm so thankful for because, you know, we, we produce so many good players and they have been burnt on pathways in the past. It's unfortunate, uh, but that was the single swing mentality. I mean, if you're good enough, you get there. But there are players who are just underneath and if they just get a little bit of help, then their careers can become something special. And there are more Australian flags that we watch on the TV uh, through the weekend on mm. Fox Sports. So um, it, it's really important, particularly in 2022, <laughs> Mr. Grady, uh, that some of these players get a bit of help uh, when they when they turn pro. Phil Mickelson's on the nose, Marco yes. and Tiff. Yes, yes. Callaway called, called a pause yeah. uh, to their relationship, which has gone back over a decade, I believe. Um, yeah. He's no longer the host of the American Express tournament on the PGA yep. Tour. Uh, it, that whole issue with the Saudi and the, you know, Greg Norman's uh, Rebel Tour, it, it's going to bubble along for a while yet. I mean, right at the moment, the Tour is winning that battle. Um, a lot of the best players are saying they won't jump ship. But, uh, you know, uh, well, Greg's tour, letter to the commissioner was interesting. Yeah, the Tour is threatening a life ban, isn't it, to all the players who jump Absolutely. ship? Absolutely. They're saying you're either with us or you're against us. So uh, Greg Norman wrote a letter to Jay Monaghan, the PGA Tour Commissioner, since we recorded our last program in which he said, Commissioner, this is the beginning, not the end. Mm. Uh, it's a lot of threatening language going on. I, I really hope from golf's point of view that they, they sort something uh, and don't go to war on this. Um, I, I don't it, think they will. No, I think in the end, if the if the eight of the top ten players are playing at one joint and two of the top ten are playing at the other, then I know where I'm watching. So I, I, just, I think it's an easy battle to win. What is it, Martin, that the players are after? Because they keep saying the PGA's got to, you know, it's a dictatorship. They've got to um, change things and and talking about perhaps some of the uh, the TV rights, the money that comes comes through that. What are they actually wanting? I think. Uh, that Phil Mickelson uh, betrayed the, the true views of most of those players in the sense that, that what they really want is to leverage the tour and get a better deal out of the tour. Now, whether that's uh, appearance fees, which they don't yeah. get on the PGA Tour, whether it's media rights mm. issues, it's so, in the end, it's just more money. So the issue is the player's image they think they should own as a contractor, yep. uh, and if a tournament is able to make millions of dollars off Phil Mickelson's image, then Phil wants to cash in on that. So once upon a time, that's done by appearance money. Uh, they're getting paid what you know the tournament thinks they're worth, and the player ticks that off and goes, well, look, for, for me playing here, you can use this and you can make your money, um, and, and that's what they want. So the PGA Tour does not pay appearance money as such. They, they little benefits here and there like hotels and things, but um, some of the players want their image and they want to cash in on that image, and, and that's what the PGA Tour doesn't allow. Two quick ones before I go. Zach Johnson is the US Ryder Cup captain later on in uh, later on this year in Rome replacing Steve Stricker he's been a vice captain previously and Bryson DeChambeau who's been mentioned in dispatches as regards the Saudi Rebel Tour uh, has withdrawn from the Arnold Palmer event this week at Bay Hill uh, with an injury that's been bothering him for a while it's a bad you know a hip injury I believe but uh you know, I've said before, he swings like a guy who's going to get injured. Um, either that or he's, he's signed and, you know, he's ready to go to the Saudis. Maybe maybe that's happening, but we're not sure. Watch this space. Watch Thanks, this Lakey. space. Tiff, thank, thank you. Thank you. We'll check in thank next you. week. Uh, coming up, we've got uh, Marco's Masterclass, and I'm tipping it might be a little bit of chipping. 
Welcome to Marco's Masterclass. Now, Marco, one of my favorite clubs in my bag is my putter. I know you're talking about chipping, but how mm. can I work my putter in with my uh, my pitching wedges? Uh, look, one of the most important things you can do is get fitted for your putter. And most golf clubs right around the country uh, have this service these days. It's great to buy a putter off the shelf because, you know, I reckon impulse is important when you're looking at a putter. You know, sometimes you pick one up and you go, wow, I'm going to hold some putts with that. So it's great to take that putter, but then you have to take it somewhere to get it fitted just right. And then that might mean cutting it down a little bit, putting a different grip on, maybe putting a little bit of extra weight on it uh, if they've got the capability in the head to do that sort of thing. It's really important, just as important as getting your drive driver fitted is getting your putter fitted. So I know you love your putter and that's a great start, but walk into a pro shop and see if you can get that suited absolutely perfectly for you. It only means you're going to hold more putts. Great advice. Masterclass today. Uh, it's got to be uh, the K Rudge. Uh, we saw it at the <laughs> Athena and I like the nickname. Um, what impressed me so much. She was great tee to green. And, and I mentioned this earlier, yeah. but the way she thought through each shot, and there were lobs, there were low pitches, there were standard chip shops, bunker shots, long bunker shots. You could work out what she was going to do just looking at the way she was rehearsing in her pre-shot. Now, this is super important because if you get over the ball and you're not absolutely certain of what trigger you're going to pull and make the magic happen to get the ball close – then you, you, you know, you're going it's the wrong a, way in this game. game. Yeah. It's a guessing game. And you can change your mind in your backswing sometimes yeah. when you're doing that silly stuff. Yeah. So have a look at K-Rudge if you get a chance. Uh, it's going whizzing around at the moment. Um, watch her pre-shot. You can see her mind ticking over and you can see her fiddling with her hands and, and the grip and you can really tell what she's going to do. It's a beautiful way to play the game and it gets your green light happening mentally. You know as soon as you get over that ball, what you're going to do. Yep. All right. Well, she was absolutely outstanding. I know, as you said, you, you loved her and you've got uh, tips on her to potentially take out the Masters Championship at us. She'll win a <laughs> Cannot wait to see that. All right. Thanks, Marco. Catch you next week.